Buffin Fuckatash. What are we listening to? The Movie Rob Minute Podcast. Keep on listening. Indeed, the either the either the uh, that's all, folks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 85 of Season 3 of Move Drop Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee ki our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me again today is John from the Dirty Hair. Wait, wait, wait. John, what? This is not John. You're not John. No. Sorry, it's it's Alan. Alan Sanders. No, I'm you know, still it, stuck in the building. Oh, Alan Sanders from the water so welcome doing, back man? to the show in place of john who unfortunately couldn't be with us on this this uh, lovely friday that's all right you know what I, I we i cannot begrudge his absence because we get to at least close out one of the great just moments in the movie there's so many great moments but i would have hated i would have hated if i had gone away yesterday and not finished ellis's last few words right okay i, I can completely understand that. i mean are there bad moments in this movie there, you know what? You and I were texting back and forth about it. And I said, I can't think of a single bad mo- minute in this movie at, at all. Like every minute I go watch, I'm like, oh, I could talk about this minute. Oh, I could talk about this minute, which is, I guess, why you're doing what you're doing. Right. I, I can obviously talk about every minute. You know, so far I've talked about 84 minutes and I, you know, have another uh, about 40, uh, almost 40 to, to go. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty safe that I can get through those. There, I think there will be something to talk about. You know, I, I haven't yet reached an episode where I was just like, oh, there's, there's nothing to talk about here. But then again, as you know, I like to pad my conversations with things people don't expect. And just you wait. We're going to we're going to get to some today that you're not going to expect. I can guarantee you. You know, I, I, I yes, I think you're correct. You will get me with something that I hadn't planned. on. Yes. And but, but that's the fun of it. You know, hopefully hopefully everyone listening is also enjoying to, to listen to the, the shock and awe. You know, from from all of my guests, you know, how, how you know, even someone like you who who has recorded with me numerous times and you know where my mind goes for certain things. They're just sometimes you just don't know what to anticipate. I, I have to tell you, we closed off last episode yesterday. I was waiting for you to give me the lesson on capiche. And we didn't even talk about it. We didn't even talk about this Italian slang for you got it? the whole story. You get what I'm saying? And like, you didn't even well, talk about it. Because we have time. I guess we I dodged that we, we talked for almost an hour without getting to Capiche. Or maybe it was like 45 minutes. I, I don't remember how long we, we talked for yesterday. You know, I'm not complaining. I don't have to edit it. I enjoy the conversation. Well, I don't mind editing it because <laughs> when I edit the conversation between us, I get to hear it again. You know, so there, there's nothing wrong with that. And I get to, you know. Nothing and, wrong. And I get to, you know, cut cut out all, all the, 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 the bad parts, which, you know, thankfully, there usually aren't very many. You know, so, so that's an important yes. skill to have. Yes. Well, especially when talking to someone who's a radio personality. So, you know, there, if I'm going to cut anything, it's going to be what I say, <laughs> not what you say. You're 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 a little more averse to this than I am. <laughs> a little bit. Would you like to say something today well, about Capiche? Thank then? you very much. Just because you missed it, it's fine. I no no no. I think I I I just did kind of. I, I all I did was like because I grew up with my dad being Polish American, Polish on that side, but. He would also say that. And I'm like, why do you say that? And he's like, well, I just grew up with friends from different parts of the country. It's always capiche. And so I was waiting for that. With well, the hand wouldn't work too, because we're doing a, this, you know, you know, the this Italian in you. So. 
Well, yeah, but you can convey that. I can convey to the other. I can say, capiche? You know what okay. I'm saying? If if you say so. Do, all right. So so we'll talk about capiche then. We'll find we out. Will, we will talk about People capiche. How's that? Okay, I'm, I'll make you happy. Okay, so so what does capiche mean? Okay. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's a Italian-American slang that usually means, do you get it? Do you got the whole story? Do you understand? I'm well, yes giving and it no. to you. you. Do you, you get what I'm telling you? at the same time. First of all, it comes from an Italian word, which is uh, capire. I have. C-A-P-I-R-E. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming that that's how it's pronounced. I could be wrong. And it means to understand. And already in the 1700s, it was used in a lot of literature. And it was picked up as a popular slang English word in, let's see if you can guess what decade. What decade do you think it, they started with the capiche? Yeah. Capiche? Probably around or after the, uh, uh, probably after the Depression. So in the. Well, 30s. you said after the Depression. So I'll give you points for that. It started, you know, around the 1940s. So you're, you're very close. It's very good. You know, it uh, probably okay. has a lot to do with uh, maybe the mafia and things like that. You know, it reminds us of, of of scenes from The Godfather and stuff like that, where you can just see, you know, mm-hmm. the character or a character like the, like the Godfather just saying, capiche? You understand what I'm talking about? You know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And there are so mm-hmm. many different spellings for this word. And nobody knows which is the actual correct way to to, to spell it. You can spell it C-A-P-I-C-H-E, C-A-P-I-S-C-E, um, C-A-P-E-E-S-H, um, C-A-P-I-S-C-E-H-E. Okay. But nobody really knows which is actually correct. So it doesn't really matter because I think, as you said, it's the idea of, of talking about it and using the hand gestures when you say it. You know, not just one, yes. it's both. You have to say both. You know, capiche? Do you understand? Um, obviously, it uh, sometimes it, it gained a lot more popularity due to uh, uh, the, the way that uh, Italian-Americans and mafia men are shown in movies. And, you know, <laughs> basically it's, it's uh, been turned into something that, that, as you said, is completely American. It's not just thought of as Italian-American. It's used uh, all over the place. Right. No, absolutely. It's it's a slang that I grew up with. I didn't have any Italian friends or any that I knew of as far as like I didn't live in Brooklyn. I didn't live in like Little Italy. I mean, I, I grew up outside of Detroit, so I wasn't, Me too. I wasn't Me too. around a lot of folks <laughs> who grew up with an Italian heritage, but I knew That's what right. the meant. I mean, right, believe but me, the question is, did. is, did you know it because your father would use it or did you know it because you saw it in movies? What do you think? I knew it because my father would use it, and I thought it was an English word. Oh, okay. Like, I had no idea it came from Italian until, thankfully, the Italian mobster kind of movies, and you go, oh, wait a minute, I know that word. Well, maybe they're, <laughs> just, that maybe they're just trying to be more American, and that's why, you know. Can... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> no, but, but if you're saying that you didn't know, so how would you then know that it's that's where it comes from? It's not like in movies like The Godfather, they're going to say, capiche, this is an Italian word, capiche. Okay, so here we, here we go. You, you're, you're trying to throw something logical at me, and I will tell you the reason I thought that there was no question that it came from Italy or it came from Italian is because the mobster movies, they all dressed like they were so much older, so it must have been a long time ago. And it didn't bother – like as a, a young brain didn't occur to me that you could have a modern-day movie being made and just costumed a long time ago. I just assumed, well, this is a long time ago, so that must be where it came from. Okay. 
that, that that's fair. That's you know that that's the the mind of a kid. Like exactly. Which, like look which, how long ago that was, Dad. I I mentioned it. I mentioned it at some point. I don't remember when. That uh, I used to always think that in movies when a character would would die. They would actually use like a, a dummy or a mannequin or something like that. I didn't believe that the actors are pretending to be dead. You know, I, I always just assumed that it didn't matter how they died. You know, we're not talking about special effects and stuff like that. You know, just someone even having a heart attack. You know, you see the, the, the body on the ground. That's not the real actor. That's what I always thought because, you know, they have to hold their breath. <laughs> it's, isn't it amazing? Uh, one of the things I used to always as a kid, it would confuse me. Is if I liked an actor and not laughed when they're lying on the ground and not, right, they can't we can't move. No, if, if I saw an actor I really liked, but as a kid I just assumed that that's who the person was. I never thought of it as somebody pretending to be somebody. And then when I would see that same actor but playing a completely different role or maybe even like a villain, it would bother me as a kid. I'm like, wait a minute. Han Solo can't be a bad guy. I mean, he's Han Solo. Like, well, Han, no, so, Harrison Han Solo can't an actor. be Indiana Jones. He's playing a role. <laughs> Well, and that's it. I would have confusion as a kid because I would so identify with the character versus the actor and couldn't separate the two. I can now, but when I was a kid, it used to be really bothersome when I would see somebody I loved in one movie be somebody I didn't like or or, or treated people badly. I'm like, what are you doing? You're right. the good or, guy. I'm sure that could work the other way also. You have someone who is constantly playing bad guys and then you see him in a – an, uh, a good role, like for instance, perfect example, you know, in Platoon, the fact that Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe were both miscast, you know, where they were cast in roles that you wouldn't expect them to to, to be in, and that's why they gave such great performances. Mm -hmm. You know, Willem Dafoe is mm -hmm. known as playing evil characters, you know, even before 1986, and Tom Berenger was always the, you know, just the the, the all, all around all American fun guy. You know, a nice guy and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. to switch those roles, I mean, they both got Oscar nominations. They were both great there. You know, it, too bad, too bad neither of them won. But yeah, uh, good point, good point. Pl yes, for sure. Playing but uh, we're, we're actually here to talk about Die Hard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, it's the end of the week. That's, we needed something to segue so, back into it. <laughs> episode eighty-five begins with uh, Ellis raising the stakes and ends with Hans letting everyone hear the screams of the audience. You know, that's how you want to end the week. <laughs> with, with lots of screaming. Mm -hmm. yes. We're definitely going to end on a crescendo. Yes. It, it reminds me even um, the, the movie, the, the last boy scout, you know, where one of the actor, one of the, one of the bad guys says to, to Bruce Willis character, you know, I want to make you scream. And he says, uh, just play some rap music. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talk about, you brought it up. Talk about an underrated, Bruce Willis movie. Love The Last Boy Scout. I loved it. I actually just rewatched it last, this week, last week. I don't even remember. I watched so many movies, I don't remember when I saw it, but I saw it recently. And and I just loved watching it again. Mm -hmm. I mean, I saw it in the theater. Yeah. So uh, it was, you know, it's, it's one of those movies that, that is really stupid, but it's just so much fun to watch. I don't think I got you know, the and, humor and the wit behind the writing when I first saw it because I was so disappointed leaving the theater and I almost didn't watch it again. And when I did, I was like, wait a minute. I didn't remember it being this good. And then I watched it a third time. I was like, oh, my gosh, I get the jokes are being set up for later. And and yes. it's just to me, it's just amazing. I love the yeah. the last Boy Scouts just amazing. But yes. again, we're not here to it talk is. about it. But, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're able to, to, to go off a little bit on things. So it is Bruce Willis. At least it's more re relevant. Yes. Yes. It's connected. It's connected. It's all connected. 
<laughs> and so yesterday we we ended the minute with uh, our our good friend the idiot Ellis trying <laughs> to convince John to you know give himself up and give up just, the detonators at least yes yeah. stop doing this well, stop messing give up around himself. give him up himself not just the detonators so he 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 starts interjecting here he goes I'm putting my life on the line for you pal interrupts him and goes Ellis listen to me very carefully. John, shut up, Ellis. Just shut your mouth. Put Hans back on the line. Hans, this shithead does not know what kind of man you are, but I do. Listen. And at this point, Hans responds and goes, good. Then you'll give us what we want and save your friend's life. You're not part of this equation. It's time you realize that. Now, I mean, Ellis is just really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's getting really stupider stupid. and stupider as these, these minutes are go, going along. You know, he's saying things that that he, he really doesn't understand the stakes here. No, I don't think he realized. When you say that he's up the stakes, he really has. I mean, yeah. I think we're already there on Hans's side of the aisle. But here he is making this grand pronouncement. I'm putting my life on the line for you, pal. And then he's so happy with saying, like, hey, that was a good that was a good, that was a good, uh, good uh, um." A good raise, wasn't it? And he like even raises his eyebrows and almost smiles at Hans. Like, did you like that? That was pretty good, wasn't it? Right, exactly. You know, he's he he he. I guess he's a wannabe thespian. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't. He it's, thinks he's in performance mode. He thinks he's performing in front of. Like we said this during the earlier in the week, in front of the executive or the boardroom. He's trying to win the business, and he's used to playing that kind of role to get the contract signed. It had. It's never, and you can tell. It's not even entered his mind that he's about to um, be, be short of this world. Yes, correct. And I mean, Ellis just—he—he's he, clueless here. You know, it makes you wonder: did did Hans at some point even threaten him? Probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, the, as you said, this is just a performance for him. So who knows? And then at this point, Ellis interjects again and goes, "Hey." What am I, method actor, Hans? Mm-hmm. Babe, put away the gun. This is radio, not television, which is pretty funny that he says it that way. He's basically saying to himself, he's, he's you know, we're, we're podcasting and, you know, we're doing the same thing. This is radio. This isn't television. They can't see right. us. But the idea is, is you know, uh, what Ellis is trying to do here is pretend that something is happening in there in order for John to possibly give himself up or give up the detonators or try to save Ellis in some way, shape or form, which, I mean, John knows that that's not going to fly. He knows if he does that, he's a goner. Yeah. I don't see it as him pretending that uh, because Hans does bring a gun out. I mean, I really do think that he's, I think that may be the first moment that Ellis is like having a second doubt about like, what are you, what are you doing? You don't, I, I'm selling this. You don't have to help. I, I don't need the visual because we're on radio. No, I, I, I got to disagree with you on this one. He, he still is clueless. He doesn't think that uh, Hans is actually, you know, there, there's a gun on the table, but he's still acting. I don't think that's. I, I'm gonna disagree. This we're gonna we're gonna argue on this one. Okay, let's let's argue. Let's say put up put up put up the this put up the dude. Helping to this is not helping to sell the intensity to John. Ellis is realizing. Why do you need a gun? Well, I mean, it's not gonna work. He's not. I don't think he's doing that for John's benefit. 
That's a two-way mic open. He's left the mic on, so it's not – he's having to do push-to-talk. And you're hearing, for some reason, bidirectional communication on a walkie-talkie because they're both able to talk and receive without pressing the button. But I think Ellis is – Hey, man, look, I got it under control. You don't need to wave a gun in front of me. He can't see it. I don't think that's helping. By- Bruce Willis already knows what's going on. He doesn't need to raise the stakes for, for, for John. He, he doesn't. I just think this is Ellis going, guy, I got it. You know, don't help me. I know what I'm doing here. No, 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 no. I disagree with you on this one. I, oh, I we really got to get think- people to weigh in on this episode. Yeah, people I really need to think- weigh in. Yeah, that's right. I really think that that this is just a continuation of his his play acting here. You know, he obviously Hans is fingering the, the gun and he lifts okay. it up and then puts it down on the table. Yes. But I don't Here's... think that, you know, I, I think he's that Ellis is using this in order to try to get John to change something. He's not doing it because he himself thinks that um, that that Hans is going to do something. You know, the fact that Hans has the gun there might give him the idea to use this as a prop. Uh, you know, for, for Ellis to use it as a prop in his speech, but I don't think he's he's saying it to Hans. He's saying it to John. But why does he lay, say the line then? What 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 is the uh, uh, says? Uh, do you think I'm a method actor? He goes, What do you think? A method actor? What is the method m- m- style of acting? Method style of acting is to really do something. Right. So he's like, Hey, you don't have to really threaten me with a gun. I get it. I don't need you to do that. Like he's aware that Hans is doing something threatening. He's like, what am I, a method? You put away no, gun, but he's huh? saying this to John. He's not saying it to Hans. Oh, he's not. The the the, the microphone's not anywhere close to him. He's still pointing it at Hans. He it's still going to catch him, is his voice. It's not like it, I don't it, think he realizes he's not performing. Remember, when he's performing, he's got the handset and he's playing with it and he's performing into it and he's talking into it. Right now, it's not pointed to him. He's pointing it to Hans in the middle of the room. You have a good point, but uh, I'm not going. I'm not going to give it to you because because I truly believe. I mean, I've I've seen this movie so many times. I've seen the scene. He is still part of the act. He's he's he can he continues his act until the very end of this minute. You know when he when it finally dawned on him that that his acting is not is not going to help him anymore. Mm. He continues to act. So he's saying this in order to get John to do something because he's saying, he's basically saying, John, listen, what I'm saying, what I'm saying to Hans is I'm not a method actor here. This is a real life situation. I'm really scared that something's going to happen to me. Well, one other thing to take note of, and we're going to, I'm not going to be able to convince you. I think I've given you compelling reasons why I see it the way I do. At the very, and you don't think I've given you compelling reasons back? Um, No. <laughs> I, again, I'm not trying to convince you. <laughs> Look, I'll give you You're an ass. <laughs> one more visual. I'll give you one more visual clue okay. that he is suddenly sweating it, even if it's a little unconscious. The very beginning of the scene when he's like smiling and he winks and he nods, his brow is not shiny. His hair doesn't look like it's kind of sticking to him. It doesn't look like he's got any kind of sweat or stickiness. And when he comes in for that close up afterwards, where after, you know, shut up, Ellis, you know, he's going to kill you. And he's like, John, how could you say that? And then the close up, he's shiny. His hair looks like it's sticking to him. He's suddenly sweating. He's panicked. He realizes it's not going the way he wanted it to go. No, you see that later on when he, you know, when when he is realizes that John is not talking to him anymore. But not yet. Right, right after he says "shut up, Ellis," and that's, that's the first no, time he gets no, the no, microphone. No, 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 he gets later. 
He he takes it later. Oh, it's right here. It's right here. You know they're talking about it. I'm, I I see. I see what you're talking about. But no, this isn't it. People are listening to this and going, "What are these two assholes arguing about?" <laughs> all right, let's. All right, we'll pull back and say this. I see Ellis as suddenly going, "Wait a minute! I don't need the gun. I got it." You know, and that's the first time I think he's getting a little nervous. He may not think he's going to be killed, but he's like, "What are you doing, waving the gun?" You know, I, I got it. He's not doing that for John. I think he's dealing that to Hans. He's, he's specifically saying, Hans, I got it. You don't have to shoot, wave the gun around, Boba. I got this. No, okay, so wait, what you're Willis also is saying is it. he's going he's gonna to start sweating within four seconds. You know, his brow yeah, is going to be yeah. – you're saying in four seconds. That's, that's probably all from the lighting. <laughs> well, you can say four seconds because we're breaking it down. But in movie time, it looks like he's – and that extreme close-up of him – he looks like a nervous rabbit that's perspiring, and he's still trying to smile through it. No, that's later. He's not smiling here. You know, when when he's I'm talking pointing... about I'm talking about when it comes back to him because we're arguing about whether or not the whole method acting is for John's benefit, and I'm saying it's not. It has nothing to do with John. And then he goes back into performance, but he's already starting to sweat it now because of the gun, and because he just got done hearing Bruce yell at him. You know, shut up, Ellis. You know they're gonna kill you. He's like, how can you say that after all these years? He hasn't – no, but he, we, haven't, we haven't gotten there yet. Well, I'm ahead of you that. because I know where you were going. I'm watching it. <laughs> no, okay, so am I. Let's, let's just leave that. We'll let, we'll let everyone – please send, send in your, your, uh, your opinions. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll, we'll still be friends after this. Alan. Fine. Of course we will. Uh, you know what? If you can't have um, passionate debates – Meaningful. You know, then what's the <laughs> point? I mean – because honestly, let's, let's face it, the sun's still coming up tomorrow. It's still setting. We still have jobs and families and responsibilities. Whether we're right or wrong, either way, doesn't affect the outcome of our lives. No, not at all. Not at all. Especially since we'll never know the true answer here. You know, this is a debate that neither one of us can can prove, uh, you know, in, in any way, shape or form uh, completely. Right. You know what? It's it's all it's it's all a matter of opinion. This is what my wife hated about literature classes and writing papers and why she gravitated toward math because she's like math has answer two plus two is always four it's two plus two there is an answer there is a process you can get to an answer and i said well but i can argue hamlet is not when you get into advanced stop stop with your i hate when you do that and i say well but see honey you use supporting information i can prove hamlet's insane based on x y or z but i can also prove Hamlet is cunning and pretending to be insane. She goes, it can't be both. And I'm like, yes, it can, as long as I argue it with with supporting material. So I just argued my right. view with my supporting material. You gave your view. That drives her bananas. Yes. <laughs> She's like, you both can't be right. I'm like, actually, we both can. <laughs> can. <laughs> because this is all a matter of opinion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a matter of interpretation. Yeah, I'd say that it's more than yeah, I would say it's more than opinion. It's it's definitely interpretation. I agree. It's it's not just opinion because anybody can have an opinion. That doesn't mean it's an informed opinion or an educated one. But I think we are we are looking at it uh, more um, from a perspective of movie watchers, and so we can argue with a little bit more. I don't know gravitas. Right. It's it's really funny. Ten minute uh, an hour ago, someone sent me something that's really funny. That is very apropos to what we just said. It's okay. It says a fact is information minus emotion. An opinion is information plus experience. Ignorance is an opinion lacking information, and stupidity is an opinion that ignores a fact. 
There I, you wonder go. Who, I wonder who posted that. That sounds real familiar. It wasn't from you. I posted that on my Facebook page today. Did you really? I did. That's really funny. I swear I didn't to God, see I did it. today. I did not see it on your on your Facebook page. That is really <laughs> funny. Someone, I guess, you see, it made it all around the world. Look, it did. It made it uh, at least an eight-hour time difference. Seven. Seven, but yeah. Seven. Well, <laughs> geez, you always got to correct me. What are you, my wife? Yes. I've already got one of no. those. <laughs> so do I. It's fine. <laughs> you know. As much as I love her, I don't understand why people wanted more than one at some point in their lives. I, but, uh, you know. I'm with you on that. <laughs> exactly. That's really funny that you, that I, I honestly, you know, I really didn't know that you are supposed to. I that's thought very, you were doing cool. sort of a tongue in cheek saying, by the way, this just came in and I saw this. I was like, oh, you're, you're, you're repeating what I posted earlier. Nope. Nope. Not at all. Not <laughs> that's, at all. That's bananas. Well, and, that's cool, but it's, it, it does. It, it is apropos. Um, yes. You know, you can have an opinion. But it's either it could be an informed opinion because you've got some kind of experience or knowledge, but just an opinion lacking any kind of knowledge. Well, that's not really smart. That's right. That's that's ignorant. That's correct. <laughs> and first of all, I mean, trying to go back to what we were just talking about without going into that whole debate again. You know, I, I love mm -hmm. the way that Hans is like, you know, moving the gun with his hand. You know, he's sort of like mm -hmm. like. Um, you know, twisting his, you know, like uh, doing exercises with his wrist while he's holding the gun. You know, the way that, that, that he, you know, he puts it like a circular motion and then places it on, on the, uh, on the table as he's doing it, which is mm -hmm. just very funny the way that, that, uh, that he does it, you know, it just swivels around like that. And by the way, this is a very important thing that shows that, um, Alan Rickman comes from a little bit of a theater background. And then he's because lefty. the thing that's, well, I don't know if, it's, if, if it matters if he's lefty or righty, but in theater, because you can't control where someone's looking because the audience can look at the whole stage the whole time, that actors are taught, you know, if you're going to move, if you're going to have a motion, move on a line. So when you're done, you can then stop moving, which means the next person who's talking, the focus goes to the other actor. So you don't steal from them doing something that's that's um, distracting. You want to make sure you move. Right on your line or you have an action on your line. And if you look, he times his comment with the gun that by the time he's done with his line, he's got the gun pretty much down on the table. Yes. It's beautiful. Yes, it's, that's it's, very it's, true. It's, 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 yeah. a, it's like, it's almost like it's meant to go completely together. And I love it. It's, it shows a very talented and it's subtle. You, it, like someone may be the, for the first time going, I never noticed that, but that's what makes some performances stand out. It's the subtle things you might not realize that subconsciously add to that kind of menace and performance that Alan is just perfect at here in this movie yes there's absolutely no question about that so john then shoots back and says hans this asshole is not my friend i just met him tonight i don't know him jesus christ alice these people are gonna kill you tell them you don't know me and and ellis then just uh you know laughs it off but at this point this is the point where i will agree with you at at this point, Ellis knows that he's in trouble, and his laugh is a half-assed mm -hmm. type of laugh because mm -hmm. he now knows he's in trouble. You know, he's smart enough to realize that he's in trouble. Now, first of all, I like the fact that John, in within these this minute, he calls Ellis both a head and an asshole. You know, he's he's trying to convince Hans by you know disparaging Ellis. You know, you wouldn't talk to a friend that way. Uh, when you think that they might be in danger, you know, that type of thing, you would 
try to do whatever you can to, to. So this is where we're going to go a place where you don't expect us to go. All right. Where do you think the exclamation of Jesus Christ comes from as a, you know, as a curse or as some sort of interjection? Right. We're not obviously going into the religious aspects of it, you know. Um. So where do you think that comes from? I, you know, I know growing up Catholic, I was told you're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. It's one thing to say damn, but if you put God in front or if you say GC, JC, you know, like that somehow is a is a is a bad sin. Um, so I'm not Wait, sure. Wait, JC is okay? No, JC is okay or No, no saying Oh, Jesus. you're saying if you say the whole thing. Yeah, oh, okay. if you say you're, the whole if you I'm say sorry. it as I, I wasn't implying I wasn't making you try and say something no, no, you don't no, no, want no. to say. I, 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 I thought saying. you were using that as uh, uh, let me to, for clarity. Um and it confused me as a child because I could say, uh, we are now going to say a prayer to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And like, okay, that's fine. But if I go, Jesus Christ, I stub my toe. Like, oh, that's a swear word. Well, we just said right. Jesus Christ in church. <laughs> well, it's your intention, how you chose to say it. One was reverently and one was as a curse. Like a, you're saying it irreverently. I was like, oh, so yes. suddenly the same word can mean two different things depending on my intention. So. That always keeps me as a kid. Okay. But as far as it being an, an expletive or being something that you would evoke, I have no idea, honestly. I never even thought about when did it evolve to be something that you just exclaim when you're either frustrated or angry or hurt. So first of all, I, we're going to use the, the term Jesus H. Christ because that's usually what people use when they're you know when they're whether swearing or saying interject, mm -hmm. interjecting and stuff like that so it is an, an expletive interjection that refers to the christian religious figure of jesus christ it is typically uttered in anger surprise or frustration there's sometimes also with humorous intent the expressions christ jesus and jesus christ are are also used as exclamations or expletives in english speaking christian mm -hmm. influenced societies okay so he knows when people started using it in this particular way, but um, in Mark Twain's autobiography, he gives a little story about something that happened when in 1847 when he was working as his apprentice. Okay, so it says that uh, Twain recounts a practical joke a friend played on a revival preacher when Twain was an apprentice in the printing shop that Alexander Campbell, a famous evangelist then visiting Hannibal, hired to print a pamphlet of his sermon. While checking the galleys, Twain's fellow apprentice Wales McCormick found he had made room for some drop. He had to make room for some dropped words, which he managed by shortening Jesus Christ on the same line to Jay Z. As soon as Campbell had read the proofs, he s swept indignantly into the shop and commanded McCormick, "So long as you live, don't you ever diminish the Savior's name again. Put it all in." The puckish McCormick obeyed, and then some. He set Jesus H. Christ and printed up all the pamphlets. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. So he got reprimanded for shortening the Lord's full name for, to a, a traveling evangelical. And, and so he goes, all right, fine. I want a full name. H. We'll put an H in there. <laughs> Give him a middle initial. I wonder what exactly. H stood for we're, when he we're first gonna came get up there. with Jesus H. We're going to get there, Alan. Don't worry. Okay. I, I, I do my I, research. I, you know, here's the thing. I use that phrase a lot. I'll put the H in there, but I've never thought about what does the H stand for. Well, in in a few minutes you'll know. And okay, and good. I, I, I don't know. If, I, I don't know if that's going to make you. I don't know if that's going to make you want to say it more or say it less. Who knows? <laughs> so it's it's actually known as a specifically American profanity. So anyone who doesn't live in America uh, that's listening to this, if if you are confused about this type of uh, expletive 
And, you know, I, I, I'm curious to know if, if that is true, that people outside of America don't use that particular uh, thing. And it is uh, based on uh, a little bit of research. They It's primarily uttered only by men. You know, so I, I don't know if that's true or not. It sounds like it, it, it might make sense, but who knows? Okay, so part of the whole thing is is adding the H is because you you change the stress uh, pattern when you're talking. You the H is a higher stress than the other one. You would say Jesus H Christ, not Jesus H Christ. You know that type of thing. So uh, basically, there there are a number of opinions as to why it's like this. So it's saying that the the fact that this term has lasted so long might have a lot to do with its cadence. And the way that an especially strong stress can be placed on the H. You might also think of it as an example of emphatic in fixing that loosely fits the models of words like absa bloody lutely or uh, tribute bloody lation. And, you know, we, we could, we could, you know, go on and on about, uh, you know, adding words inside, you know, adding expletives mm-hmm. in the middle of words to, to try to fit, fix that. Okay. So there, a linguist named Dwight Bollinger mentions that Jesus H. Christ in a discussion of the strategies used by English speakers to add additional stresses to highly charged words for purpose of emphasis. The strong emphasis on the H somehow improves the rhythm of its host phrase. So there's the, the dictionary of slang known as the Green's Dictionary of Slang that it says the H is redundant other than the rhythm, meaning it doesn't need to be there. But the reason it's there is because it helps with the rhythm of the way that you're cursing, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. So where's the etymology of the H? Yeah. So the symbol is derived from the there's a, there's a the divine monogram, okay, which is the the name of Jesus Christ, okay, and it comes from the Greek name of Jesus, which I don't know Greek, so I can't really pronounce what what it says here, but it's translated literated as iota eta sigma. Okay, which can look like an IHS or an IHC mm-hmm. or a JHS or a JHC, because you know we all know from uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you know Jehovah is spelled with an I, not with a J, so it still works this the same way. So you have these three letters that looks like there's an H in the middle, even though there there really isn't. It's just because of the the, the Greek way that it's uh, uh, that that it's spelled gotcha. now. <laughs> There are some false etymologies as to where this possibly came from. So they they claim that that this is where the H comes from. The fact that you know on the the divine monogram you have the the Greek letters, and that's where it looks like there's an H there. Okay, but (laughs) there are popular false etymologies, including one that one commonly held origin is an initial for the name Harold, which is mentioned as the basis of the variant form Harold Christ. Okay, the herald may arise from a common misinterpretation, often by children, of the phrase in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? The phrase can be mistakenly interpreted as specifying the name of the deity rather than the true reading, which is may thy name hallowed. The confusion would arise from the phonetic similarity of hallowed to Harold. Mm. You know, I, I, I've seen that in movies also. Name. Exactly. Harold be thy name. So you'd have the, the H in the middle. Okay, there are uh, obviously numerous variations of what people would uh, use. You have Jesus, Holy Christ, 
Jesus Hecking Christ, Jesus H. Particular Christ, Jesus H. Jesus H. Crow, Jesus H. Johnson, Jesus A. Mahogany Christ, Jesus Hopping Christ, Jesus Johnny Cake Christ, Jesus K. Reist, Jesus X. Christ, J. H. Christ, and Judas H. Christ. Okay. Mm. But you're leaving out my favorite, which I use all the time. Jesus H. Christ on a popsicle stick. Oh, of course. Of course. I've heard, I've heard that one. I've actually heard that one. It's not listed in this article, so uh, I, I forgot about that. It's all right. You know, so, it's all right. I, I, you, you got the interjection on your own. I like Harold. That's cool. I was also thinking, hark the Harold angels saying that. Maybe that's where it was Harold. But Could I be. also thought maybe it was going to be heavenly and that the irony was going to be, well, Jesus, heavenly Christ. It's not bad if you say it that way, right? Correct. Exactly. So one last thing I want to say about this. So in, in this article, it suggests that the H offers the power of taking the Lord's name in vain by adding something to it that the imagination is invited to complete. You know, so what does the H actually stand for? Whatever the errant imagination proposes and the imaginer is disposed to enjoy. <laughs> so it could be anything. I love it. You know, love so, it. Yeah. I, I do I, like that. that I knew you wouldn't expect that. Thing. <laughs> because Shakespeare was good at that. So I love that it's a cadence that is uh, just saying Jesus Christ sounds like too short. Like Jesus H. Christ. Like, it just makes it even more emphatic. Correct. Especially extra, when you go you Jesus extra, H. Oh. Christ on a popcorn stick. I'd forgotten about that one. Thank you for reminding me of that because it's – Sure. I, I, I'm trying to remember where I heard it from. There, there's a movie with it that is very prominent. I can't remember what it is. You know, it's I'm not dark. Those, it's not I'm dark. I wonder if those phrases are like adding something like that was a way to soften it to say, well, I wasn't really swearing because I said on a popsicle stick. Right. Could be. Could be. Who knows? We will we will never know. But uh, it's it's fun to think about it. Right. So at this point, we definitely see um, Ellis sweating. He mm. knows and he's beginning to understand that this negotiation that he has tried has failed. But he still doesn't even expect any type of repercussions for it because what mm -hmm. he does is he slinks back and he smirks and then he picks up his glass of Coke. And at the same mm -hmm. time, we see that, that Hans, you know, starts raising the gun. And Ellis, you know, he's like chuckling and just starts to, you know, to, 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 to put the, the glass to his, um, to his, to his, uh, to his mouth. But right before he does this, mm -hmm. he he basically says to to John, you know, John, how can you say that after all these years, John, John, you know, and and that's actually the point where you know he he loses it. He just knows that that this is this is over. He you know he's 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 tried, he's done his best, but that's it. You know, but he doesn't mm -hmm. realize what Hans is really capable of. Even though they know that Takagi's dead, but you know the the question is: Do you think people heard the gunshot of Takagi besides John? Obviously, I doubt it because it was too many floors up above right. them. Exactly. So the idea but is I, that they know he's supposedly dead, but no one's seen his body. Mm -hmm. Right. So well, you know, hmm. uh, from a filmmaking perspective, with the score, something we we mentioned from time to time. If you notice, there hasn't been much in the way of music through this back and forth until after he kind of does the whole, John, uh, I gave up my best guess. Yeah. I tried. And all of a sudden you hear, doo, 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 and the soundtrack comes back. And you realize, uh-oh, someone's plucking on some strings. Uh, so all of a sudden we've got a little musical interlude as as Hans is picking the gun back up. Yeah, for sure. 
And I, I love the fact also that we hear the gunshots not in the room. We hear it from John, you know, John, because then we also get to see mm-hmm. John's expression as this is happening. You know, you can clearly mm-hmm. see that he is distraught, you know, that, that he knows that he tried his best. He did what he could, but it just doesn't, you know, it didn't work. You know, because he knows that, no. that Ellis, I guess now we can say was an idiot. You know, he's no longer an idiot. Now, what happens to that glass of Coke? They're, you know, they must have stayed in the carpet in Holly's office. Besides the blood. I, I'm sure there was more than just a Coke stain. <laughs> and, and what happens to the rest of the can? I mean, they didn't, they didn't fill up the whole, the whole uh, cup, the whole glass with, uh, you know, with Coke. So I don't know. To me, it's a waste. That's what I'm saying. It's a waste of Coke classic. You know, I'm like a firm believer that if you're drinking Coke, you got to drink it from a glass. Can't drink from a paper cup. Can't drink from a plastic cup. It's got to be a glass. You know, I have a glass in my glove mm-hmm. compartment for that very reason. Really? Yes. Now, see, I'm okay with hard plastic. Like, I use a uh, Nalgene water bottle for making sure I've always got water with me. But uh, I do – I know my wife is much more about this with beer – likes beer in bottles versus cans, and that if we have to get cans for some reason, like let's say we have extras because we're going to the beach or the lake where you're not supposed to have glass, when we get back extras, she'll want to pour that then into a glass. Okay. She prefers it from a glass. Right. I mean, I discussed this last season when when we're talking about plane shades automobiles, when we're talking about the glove compartment. So the main reason I keep a glass there is because when I go to the movies, I will fill up the glass with, with Coke. You know, I won't, I don't like drinking from the plastic cups in the movie theater. You know, for me, Coke that's, has got to be in the glass. Crazy. I, I, I went to see, <laughs> hey, I'm crazy. What can I tell you? I went to see Jaws last <laughs> week and, you know, it was because they, they had a, a showing that I was able to see in the theater, which I, I'd never seen in the theater mm-hmm. before because, you know, I was one when it came out. Um, and that would have been really, really a bad thing if my parents took me to see Jaws when I was one. You know, <laughs> I think they would have put them in jail at that point. But, uh, so... I'm sitting there in the middle of the movie and I take out my glass and I pour the Coke from the, you know, from, from the movie cup into my glass just to be able to enjoy it even more. I'm crazy. Wow. I know, but why not? I want to, um, <laughs> you seem to go back to the, <laughs> well, I was cause I was trying to make sure that I put a pause <laughs> to make it look like I cared about what you were saying. And now I'm moving on to something. <laughs> so, I want to talk uh, camera movement for a second because it's so subtle that I almost didn't notice it until going back and kind of rewatching the medium shot of John McClane against the, you know, in an unlit for the building, the only light coming in from outside windows. So he tends to be only half lit on his outside edge. When he starts off the first monologue, the camera is slowly pushing. He's in a medium shot. And by the time it goes back, after he's like, I put Hans back on the line, you know, this shit doesn't know you, but I know what kind of, you know. And it comes back, and the camera has moved in. The whole time, his his intensity of delivering the lines, the camera's getting closer and closer and closer. It ends on the exact close-up, and then we leave, come back to Ellis. We go back to, you know, the reverse behind Ellis's head showing uh, uh, Alan Rickman's character, you know, grabbing the gun. And then it comes right back exactly where the camera left off for him to react to that shot. So we are right up in his face. Even though we left it, we were gone for just a few seconds. It's so immediate to be right there, half lit, and you get his little blink reaction to hearing the gunshot. Just makes it feel like we're feeling like he's feeling. And it's really – the visually helps – 
emotionally tell what John. Yeah, thinks. for sure. And I mean, I notice now also when I'm looking at it, I, I love how you can see his reflection behind him in the glass, because if there's no lights there and it's almost completely dark, so mm -hmm. what is reflecting? You know, what is causing his us to see his reflection in the glass? You know, is it the is it the yeah. light outside? Is it the you know is there is it something that Yandabant uh, put on the side that uh, you know is is lighting John up a little bit? So we see like the sweat on his brow also at the same time. Yeah, he's got the shine. I, I definitely think it's either the spotlights or the combination of just lights from L.A. coming in through yeah. a a skyscraper building. But it it's so stark. But we don't realize how the camera has slowly pushed in with the intensity of John McClane recognizing. Remember yesterday how he was going very slowly, very methodically. In fact, actually earlier this week when it when he got caught with his name, where he realized Hans now knows his name. Right. It's very slow. He's he's thinking, you know, you can tell his mind a thousand miles an hour, but it's this minute when it's starting to, you know, he realizes Ellis doesn't get it. I got to do everything I can. And the intensity is just now all of a sudden that spinning wheel that was in his head becomes how fast his delivery of those lines. And it becomes like you just feel the tension building like you just know what's coming. Yeah, for sure. Now, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this question out at you. Do you think that what John did here? was really something that could have saved Ellis? I think it's entirely possible that if he could have gotten Ellis to shut up sooner and admit that he was just, you know, trying to figure something out, it's possible, although Hans might have gotten just as angry about being lied to. So, I mean, I don't know. John, I think John McClain was in a no-win scenario. and I mean, he didn't want to give up. He was still trying to figure out how to save Ellis, but I think he, I think he knew that there was probably no way Ellis was walking out of this now. Right. I mean, the fact that, that Hans believes from the start that Ellis is friends with John already put Ellis in enough danger. Correct. You know, so so as you said, the, to, to push him away and say that, OK, this guy is just lying. That just gives Hans another reason to kill him. He wouldn't he's not going to kill him now because he's a friend of John's. He's going to kill him because, you know, I don't need someone who's just going to come and lie to me. Right. Because no, he's, would be he also knows he also knows that Ellis is half lying. Because Ellis does know something. See, that's I think that's a mistake that Hans makes here. You know, the fact that he that he executes Ellis so quickly that instead of trying to, uh, you know, gather information from mm -hmm. from Ellis, because Ellis knows who John is. Right. No, that's a good point. You know, so he needs to. He he should have tried to maybe torture him or threaten him in some way to be able to get information. We discussed earlier this week the fact that he could have just. You know, blurted out, oh, oh Tali. Mm -hmm. You know, he might have, he could have done that. Right. Um, obviously, the movie would be a lot shorter if that's what he did. But yeah, you're right. So I'm glad that they it didn't is, do it that. It is a but, mistake on her part. It, it, I it, also was going to ask you what your thoughts are. What if, let's go all the way back earlier in the week. What if when Hans goes, or should I say McLean, Officer John McLean of the New York Police Department, if he had gone, I have no idea what you're talking about, Hans, would Hans have suddenly doubted us? Mm, that's very possible. And is it possible that because he was but, taken off guard, and but, that's the very first time we saw where John's not in control of the situation, even when he, even when the the odds are, even when the next act against him, you still always sense every scene he's got a way out. Here's his one time where he doesn't know a way out, and is a bit, that's his mistake. He admits, yeah, that is who I am, and that gave credit that gave credibility to Ellis. But that, but going back to the, what we discussed earlier this week, the fact that John thought it might be Holly there, right. 
So he had to admit, could also be one of the reasons why his first thought is okay, it's Holly. Right. So I can't deny at, at this right. point. Right. No, you, you, that's a good point. Because if he is thinking the only reason you know my name is you figured out Holly, he, that may be why he admitted it. It's, it's it's fun to play that game, the what if. Like, where was the fatal mistake made? I think the, the fatal mistake yeah. was Ellis walking in the room thinking he can negotiate. Yes. Yes. But they had to get rid of him. You know, Ellis, he, he just, you know, the, the whole reason Ellis is in this movie is for the scene. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you know, he 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 hasn't done anything else productive in the movie besides snorting coke every chance. Right. He gets. You know what I do like and about it coke. is because <laughs> these kinds of movies generally or the the knockoffs add characters just to kill them for the sake of like the spectacle of killing. What I like is it's still a motivated killing. It still advances the storyline. It does from the from the action thriller perspective. Hans does use it. He does at the which we'll get to. I know we haven't we haven't gotten to it yet, but the screams, the the crowd, the terror. He uses it to really continue to build the fear and terror of his hostages, so he can control. Them. Which is why he is known as a terrorist, as opposed correct to, as opposed to a thiefist. <laughs> <laughs> After all your posturing, you're just a common ordinary. Thief. I'm an exceptional. I'm an exceptional thief. And now that I'm moving up to kidnapping, <laughs> you should be more polite. You should be more polite. <laughs> Great lines. That's the other thing. A good movie that stays with you for a long time has really good quotable lines. Yes. It gets the audience reliving movie scenes when you get together and you say, oh, remember that? Remember when he said this and when she said this? And that's what I think keep a movie enduring past when it was first released. Yes, completely. I completely agree with you on that. So at this point, we then get a shot after the, the we hear the you – know, we see John during the, the, the shooting of – or the assumed – Shooting of Ellis. See, that would have been a good fake, also, if they would, if he wouldn't have actually shot him. Mm-hmm. He could have tried to do that too, because we don't, we don't see the shooting on screen. You know, later on we'll see his his head dripping blood. But you know, the idea is that Hans could have faked it. He could have, right. like, you know, just shot in the air, and John would have still thought they shot Ellis in order to try and get something from him. Who knows? But but he didn't do that. So what can I tell? Then we get a, a panning shot of the crowd outside. Who every there's a lot of chaos because there's all this screaming, and we can see that everyone's scared and stuff like that. And and then we we the 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 camera basically stops on Holly for a few seconds, and we see that she is shocked. You know, she didn't she didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. You know, you you think that she would have anticipated that when Ellis said. You know, uh, I'm uh, I'm not going to sit around and wait and see if you're who's going to get us killed first, your husband or them. You know that she didn't realize that Ellis was was signing his own death warrant by doing that. You know, she's still genuinely shocked that Hans went through with it and killed him. Mm-hmm. I also think, and although we don't see it, remember the very first time we get a headshot is earlier, but it's it's private. It's up in uh, Takagi's office. Uh, well, no, office, it's in the conference room, and we hear Takagi was killed. Or, or, or yeah, his conference room. Well, isn't it the office? His office outside the conference room because it was his personal computer they Not, wanted no, to no. log into. No, it wasn't his personal computer. The headshot that we as an audience watch, the audience that is watching, we saw the blood splatter hit the window. I wonder, although we don't see it later, is she reacting to the fact that she, you hear somebody gets killed? You're like, okay. Did she see Elk get killed? And the reaction becomes much more visceral because you're right. seeing it happen. Right. Well, in, in the movie, we don't see that. 
you know, we, we just see their reaction to right. the whole thing. I guess they wanted to save a little bit of, uh, you know, squib work of being all this fake blood on the, on another window. Yeah. You know, I guess they said one is enough. It does make you wonder where the blood splatter went. Cause I don't think you ever see, I think you see blood on the ground maybe, but I'm trying to remember now. See, this is the detail where you got to slow see, the movie You see down. blood on I'm the wondering... ground and you see blood on the chair because you see his head. Okay. You see his head just from the back where he's just oozing blood. So the audience there, because there are kind of slit windows, very well could have seen, or at least some people have seen, uh, someone's, you know, the back of the head, you know, blown out. Right. And then Hans calmly just stands up, you know, even after having done what he just mm-hmm. did, he just calmly stands up, takes the gun into his hand, you know, moves it from one hand to the other, walks calmly to the door, has his radio, and, you know, I guess pushes the talk to talk to speak button, opens the door and raises his hand outside so that John and the police and everyone else listening in, even Argyle down in the uh, parking garage can hear the, the screaming of everybody, you know? And it, what I wonder is how does Hans get to the door so quickly? I mean, I, I think, I think Holly's office has more than one door <laughs> because he, he's, you know, he walks to the side and immediately goes out the door. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to go via the, the secretary, via Ginny's uh, desk, which is where, you know, originally everyone, where we've seen everyone enter the room through that other door. You mm-hmm. know, we, we saw Holly and Alyssa Davini enter through there when they met Ginny. And we saw John came in there with Takagi, you know, when they caught um Ellis I think you're right, his coat. because there's not a name on the door when he opens it. And we know that when they just, came in the private. one side, right, when we private. came in the one side, it had her title, because remember, he looked at it and saw yes. that her name on the door Gennaro. was not McLean. Right. Right. So she probably has a main entrance and then a private entrance exit. Right. Interesting. The, I never thought about that, it being two separate doors, but I think you're yes. right. Yeah. And and what's funny is, is that the the main entrance goes into the hallway, the private entrance goes into the lobby, which you think it would be the opposite. You know, like, why would you need a private entrance to go into the lobby? You know, if... if... Well, see, the script called for him to be able to do this. Yes, yes, that that goes without saying. <laughs> but no, you're right. Architecturally speaking, it when you look at it, it doesn't make sense because they had to go around the hall, the side door to get to her office. But now here's the private open entrance and it's into the main area where everyone's being. Yes, for sure. Interesting. No, no, I never, there you go. You got me on one. I never thought about the architectural layout of her office before. Now I'm going to have to go back and rewatch to see if we have any other indication based on where he is. If there are two doorways into her office. Well, there's the point where he thrusts Carl up against the window and they can all see it, but you don't see that there's a door there. It's the window they're all looking at. It almost makes you wonder, from a filmmaker perspective, depending what they needed in the shot, they used two different offices. It could be. We'll, we'll have to track down. Because uh, you know, it goes yeah, by so quickly, we don't know. Yeah, we'll get him. Get get Jan Debont on the phone. Say we got a question. We we need answering, and only you can help us with this. That's right. Or we tune in also, possibly. If he's if he's on parole this week, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he won't if he hears that. <laughs> well, I know he's he's uh, still flying around the world because uh, apparently back in the end of July he was in England for a uh, film festival. 
where he was uh, introducing this movie. So, gotcha. you know, unfortunately, gotcha. I wasn't in England at the time. So, no, missed that one. If, if I hadn't known, maybe I would have, you know, done a stopover back in England. Who knows? But probably not. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he'll come to Israel one day. So you have, you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we, we get into the, the slight variations in the script? No, you know what I love about what we've established this week is we've seen John and Hans already playing a little cat and mouse. And the game got up to this week when John got outed by Ellis. And I think yes. what I love about the movie is it's constantly that cat and mouse and who's going to make the first mistake and who's going to get caught and who's going to outthink, outtalk, out you know, manipulate their way out of the situation. And I think even coming up, because at some point you have a, you have an actual confrontation where it gets, the movie constantly is one upping the idea of these two people constantly playing cat and mouse with one another and trying to figure out how to outmaneuver the other and who's going to capture, who's going to get, who's going to cut them off, who's going to keep them quiet. It's, it really is the driving force of everything else in the movie is real Hans and John's interaction. Yes. Even when they're not on the same screen, it's their, it's the two main characters. They're, they're foils. They're both, they're basically foils to each other. Everything that happens is motivated by the fact that these two keep crossing. Yes. Yeah. And they're, they're both stopping the other one from continuing with their plan. John's plan is to get out of the building mm-hmm. and Hans's plan is to uh, blow up the building. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Similar, similar, types and of and make themselves twenty percent. Yes, earn <laughs> earn twenty percent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So so that's it. That just it's this has been a great week, and I know we're going to wrap up on you got some things on the script, but just in general, this to me is just one of those nice. It's a great five minutes of storytelling where you don't have to have it always be action to be intense. To feel the you know, on the edge of your seat. You know, it's the thriller of the action thriller. And I love that. The 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 fact that we could be sitting there holding our breath when there's not a lot of action, but we know a lot's happening psychologically. Yes, sure. For sure. Okay. So the script has a, a few uh, descriptive aspects that I liked. Okay. So when Hans says to to John, good, then you'll give us what we want and save your friend's life. You're not part of this equation. It's time to re- It's time to realize that. And then it says, saying this, Hans takes the gun, points it at Ellis, smiling. Ellis smiles back. Then Ellis says, what am I, a method actor, Hans? Babe, put away the gun. This is radio, not television. So that, in my opinion, uh, it goes back to our from before. It, it at least proves to me that according to the script, you know, when it's since Ellis is smiling back at Hans, you know, it's part of the ploy. Yeah. You know, it's and, not I, and I would argue that, that he's smiling because he's too stupid to realize he means he's like, come on, man, what are you doing? You don't have to bring out a gun. I don't think he's doing it for John's benefit. I think he's just trying to say, hey, I, Hans, you don't need a gun. And that anyway, – we, we already rehashed that, but okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I know. I just wanted to point that out. Okay. So and McLean says that asshole is not my friend. I barely know him. So first of all, you know, the fact that he in, in the movie he says this asshole as opposed to that asshole, right? And then he goes, I barely know him. I hate his guts. Ellis, for Christ's sakes, tell him you don't mean to me. So it's it's a little more intense with what, what's mm-hmm. written in the script, as opposed to what actually happens in the movie itself. I like that it's a little more toned down in the movie. I think that that, that works better, okay? 
Then it says, um, Ellis looks at Hans and shrugs. Well, I tried. Hans nods understandingly. He takes the CB, presses the dark button, and in one frighteningly smooth motion, brings the Walther up to Ellis's forehead and pulls the trigger. So in the script, you actually see it. And then it says, you know, then we, we, we cut to McLean, and it says he was expecting the shot, but it still chills him. And then Holly and the hostages on the in in the, the lobby of the 30th floor she lowers her head sadly around her the others go crazy as they see ellis's blood splattered on the glass walls of hans's office hans then throws open the door to let mclean at least hear the screams of the hostages so it goes back to what you were saying that they don't show the blood but in the script they meant to and then this goes so, back to my other comment know, I, I talked I, about with, you know, you don't want to use the same gag more than once if you can help it. We've already seen header on the window. We just can, I think, assume that's the same effect. We don't need to see it again. The audience fills it in in their heads. Right. Correct. Which I like that they do it that I way. do, too. I do, too. I think I, it's I, efficient because we've seen it once. We don't need to see it again just for the sake of gratuity. We, we've seen it. So now we know in our heads – speaking of heads – we know in our minds what's just happened. Right. But even more than that, I think it makes the, the scene more imp- impactful when you're just imagining it as opposed oh, to having to see it. I totally agree. Totally you know, agree. I think and then, more than and at the same time, mind. That's right. And at the same time, we see John's reaction to it, you know, which, which is supposed to mirror our own reactions to it. You know, like a grimace that uh, if only I would have you know been able to try and stop that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like the way that they do that. I think it works. I definitely think it works. So uh, because John couldn't make it to, to, to the show today, so every Friday the segment that I have is, you know, my uh, weekend surprise segment, which you've, you've already answered and we've already talked about it today, how this movie is related to Christmas. But just for anyone listening, John sent me his opinion. So I'm going to actually read his opinion on this. So one of the biggest controversies about Die Hard is, is Die Hard considered a Christmas movie or not? So here's, I'm going to uh, read off John's answer. It says, I think Die Hard is not a Christmas film. I hold this opinion despite knowing full well it's in the minority of perceived wisdom. Here's my reasoning. I'm accustomed to Christmas films featuring snow and redemption. While there is a white powder-like substance in this movie, it ain't one of a meteorolog- meteorological nature. Good Christmas movies might have the weather hampering a a character's travel. Here, not a concern, unless you come to snow of shattered glass ripping up the feet of our hero. A lot of talk of snow here. Some of it may be a cultural bias. I come from a country where snow is a complete rarity, so I have internalized the Northern Hemisphere idea of Christmas. The movie also has no pernicious miser or institution exploiting the little guy. Nakatomi is definitely no Grinch or Scrooge. And last, McLean's marriage is not miraculously saved by his heroism, or at least his redemption was already in, in train when he took the step of flying out to the West Coast. McLean hasn't l- learnt to treat people any differently, hasn't suddenly increased his humanity. He would always have befriended Al, always correctly labeled the Ellis of the worlds as trash, and always gone to his own cigarettes. So thank you, John, for your opinion on that. Uh, you, you're yeah, correct. To... You are in the minority yeah. of all of my guests so far. And I, I see on Alan's face that he wants to give his rebuttal. So <laughs> I just want to, I just want to react in LA 
you don't get snow. So we do get a snow scene, a scene at the end after the Christmas miracle. It's a snow of paper falling, and it's used throughout the entirety of the end of the movie to show us that the clarity you can't get snow, but the paper represents the snowfall happening at the end of the movie. Yes. You said there's no Scrooge character. I don't. I've never heard that every Christmas movie to be considered a Christmas movie has to have a, a, a miser. But if we do, why wouldn't the miser be the person who's trying to ruin everyone's Christmas? I would argue Hans is there to ruin everyone's Christmas. He bashes into the middle of a Christmas party. And last but not least, I would actually argue that yes, Takagi does in fact. I would actually argue that Takagi is the, the the Scrooge rich because he's making no, all of his talked employees. About we talked about this. He's making his employees. They're not working on a Saturday. We talked about the date. This is a Friday after work. No, they were already no, there. No, forget about that. I'm not talking about Saturday. I'm not. I know he we did. did, but I'm not talking about that. I'm saying he's forcing his his employees to show up on Christmas Eve to a party. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Yeah, for a Christmas party. Okay, so maybe he's a little miserly-ish, but honestly, if you're looking for someone to ruin Christmas, obviously you can argue that Hans is. And finally, redemption. Yes, because John does say to Al, when this is done, I got a bad feeling. You need to find my wife. I won't I can't tell you how, but by then you'll know how. He then admitted right there on the air, you know, my wife's heard me say I love you a thousand times, but she's never told she's never heard me say I'm sorry. There's your redemption. <laughs> so thank you for that rebuttal. Boom. <laughs> thank you for that rebuttal. You need me on every episode. <laughs> no, you know why I'm so good at rebutting? Because my wife refuses all the evidence I lay out, the case, the argument. It doesn't matter. In her mind, no, you don't have killing in a Christmas movie. End of line. Okay. <laughs> all right, Alan. And I have a hard time figuring out how to overcome that one. I, I think you're just supposed to just let it, let it, let it, uh, you know. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Uh, let it snow. I think this is one of those times where I have to realize I can be right and I can still be oh so wrong. Yes, yes. As as all of us married men know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that, closet full of t-shirts. Exactly. So, Alan, you want to once again, for the final time this week, tell everyone how they can find or get in touch with Alan Sanders. Sure. If you would like to uh, do something similar, like you are enjoying the breakdown of a movie one minute at a time, me and my co-host Walt Murray started The Wilder Ride a few years ago. We looked at the movies of Gene Wilder. and season one, we broke down Young Frankenstein. Season two, we did Blazing Saddles. Things changed thanks to the cold that went around the world for a couple of years, and we changed it into a talk show. And then my buddy got remarried, and I haven't seen him since. So I have no idea where The Wilder Ride is going, but the nice thing is all that content is evergreen. You've got four packed full season content to go through if you want to find me just look for alan j sanders on twitter i do tend to i have a job in news talk so i tend to be a uh, news talk person so if that bothers you if you have a hard time separating culture with news of the day eh, maybe stick with the wilder ride otherwise you can find the alan sanders show wherever you find your favorite podcasts all right and while you're doing that you can go rate review and subscribe on any podcast you might be using to listen to this show and finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Around Minute. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. Or you can go directly to my website, uh, MovieRobMinute.com. Uh, so, Alan, thank you very much for filling in at the, the last minute for, for these on these last three days. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully uh, – uh, 
hopefully all the, all, all the people listening are, are enjoying, are having as much fun as you and I have had. It is a sheer pleasure to be back to uh, to bat from the bullpen or to to, to pitch from sorry to bit to pitch from the bullpen or to be called up from to the minors. To pitch from the bullpen. To pitch. <laughs> sorry, so I was maybe pitching and pitching, but to pitch from the bullpen or be called up from the minors. But dude, I, I said this to you last time. Anytime, if you're at the last second, you know you can always call on me. I don't need any show prep. I don't need anything. Just tell me the minute we're going to talk about, and I'm ready to go. I love. Love, love this movie. It's one of my perennial favorites. It is a movie I watch at least once a year. The nice thing for those people who don't think it's a Christmas movie, you don't have to wait for Christmas to watch it. It works any time of year. So that's a perennial favorite here in the household, but it's also one I'll probably watch two, three times a year when there's nothing else on. All right. Very good. All right. So until Monday, yippee ki yay Yippee-ki-yay. 